This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm so happy to have my good friend, Kat Timp, with us on the Janice Dean podcast. I've been wanting to have her on since the podcast started, but we work such different schedules with me in the early morning. And of course, her main gig is with Gutfeld late at night. But we finally made it happen. And in case you haven't heard, Kat has her very first book out tomorrow. She gave me an advanced copy to read, and I absolutely loved it. It's called You Can't Joke About That, Why Everything is Funny, Nothing is Sacred, and We're All in This Together. And if there was ever a time for a book like this to be put out into the universe, it's right now. It will literally make you laugh out loud every chapter. There's also moments where you will feel your eyes well up. She has such a wonderful way with words, and after you read this, you may see her a little bit differently, but in a way in which you feel like you know her even better, and you respect her for all that she's been through, and all she wants to do is make people laugh. That's the truth. I've loved her since I met her, and I can't recommend this book enough. So here's my conversation with the wonderful, the beautiful, the hilarious Kat Timpf. Cat Tiff, you made the Dean's List. Ooh. I'm excited. That's it? Yeah, no, this is huge. <laughs> this is huge. We're still trying to get little stickers or something that, you know, like to say, I made the Dean's That's List. That's so cute. That's right? like the best merch idea I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, let's get on it, let's Fox go. Radio people. Um, thank you for doing this. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while now because you and I are buds. We've, of we've known each other for a long time, but I am so proud of you. <laughs> um, this book, You Can't Joke About That. It It's one of the best books I think I have certainly read from Fox personalities. It might be up there with one of the best books that I've read. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, because it's different. Yeah, that it is. <laughs> and uh, it's much needed right now. Yeah, I, I think so. Um I mean, I got the idea for the book after, you know, I, I, go, I talk about some of the things I've been through after the emergency surgery. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, do a lot of people know about that? Do you talk about that on Gutfeld? So everybody's going to know now, you know, <laughs> when this comes out, when the book comes out, nobody knew about it. Okay. Um, I had a bowel perforation, as you know, because we're, we're close. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's people I want, I was on air with who didn't know. Right. Uh, and I needed to get an ileostomy. Okay. And How long did it take you to pronounce that? A long time. I didn't know what it was. I don't. I didn't know what it was either. But it's your small intestine coming. Well, you know, now as you read the book, it's your small intestine that comes out of your stomach. Like they cut a hole in your stomach. And because that way your colon can heal and you don't get, you know, poop in your bloodstream because right. you're septic. Okay. And it was... The, you know, this doesn't happen to people where it just kind of happens. I'm right. like the 0.01% is somebody. So that was me. And that was that day. What were your symptoms? It hurt really bad. Like okay. my stomach hurt so bad in a way that it hadn't hurt before. And then I couldn't stand. And I couldn't right walk. right away? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it was kind of slow, but then it, it got bad really fast. Did you think it was an appendicitis? Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. I okay. thought it might be appendicitis or something. Okay. But as I was getting wheeled into the surgery, I was freaking out. Like, what am I going to tell people? This is so disgusting. This is so weird. Instead of worrying Instead about of the like, actual I'm thing. A- I was actually dying. Like I actually, like I actually was dying and oh. that was what I was worried about. And I remember my dad, when I was recovering from that surgery for my second one, he was like, Kat, what is it that you haven't been through? And I was like, mm. I don't know, but everything that you go through, it automatically gives you a connection to everybody else that's also gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the use if we can't talk about it? That's right. So I think when people talk about free speech and making whatever jokes you want, it's always about you have the freedom to be as divisive as you want. And that's true. That's totally true. I think what's missing is the way that it can all bring us together mm-hmm. because we can't ever understand each other if we can't ever fully express ourselves. That's right. Or being afraid to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when did you find humor in this? I the, the entire that that's the the entire time. Like I, I never I don't I don't know how I would have gotten through this if right. I wasn't able to laugh because it, it was so gross and it was just so like niche of a trauma to have. So what did they do? They took out your small intestine. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just take it. It's it not, was exposed. It's exposed. It's it's. An, I thought it was an apparatus yeah. of sorts, and it's not. It's, it's just your intestine that comes out, and you can't control it. So it just starts spurting waste whenever it wants, which is. I mean, you have a and then there's the bag attached to it. Yes, but you'll just be sitting there, and then the bag starts moving under your shirt, and you're like, I'm. Sh- <laughs> like you know and 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 I know they say you know comedy is tragedy plus time but yes. a lot of the jokes in that chapter that's all stuff I was saying during while I was going through it because when something's really scary and it was the same thing as you know when my mom was sick when my mom died when I went through some other stuff in the book that I talk about nothing takes away its power like being able to laugh at it yes because if you insist on talking about it only in this most sacred careful way mm. that makes it more powerful and more scary than it already is on its own right so that's I, I, the entire time I had to be laughing at it. Was it hard to to get go there? I mean, you know, obviously your close friends knew your family, Cam, mm-hmm. uh, but to write it down and then, you know, just sort of like jump off a cliff, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know it was. I reread that chapter and I was see. So Guy Benson and I are very close. Friends. Yes. And he I, he knew something happened, but I didn't really even tell him the details, even though we are close. And as he was reading the chapter, he was texting me. He was like, my God. <laughs> he was like, I, I have to keep like looking away from the page. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's I, a lot. I, I, it is a lot. And I'm like, but I lived it, right? Yep. And, you know, up to a million people are living with, and I, I you know, I, I looked that up, are living with one of these right now as we speak at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them don't want to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I see why, but. And even to try to explain it is very right. difficult. Right. So how are you now? Everything's totally fine. Okay. I was kind of a, f- a freak of nature thing that happened. I do have a scar that looks really small, but the tissue around it's like really hard. Okay. Um, that's another thing that I don't have to worry about. Like when, it, if my shirt goes up, someone sees it, they're like, what happened? I'll be like, how much time do you have? <laughs> like, <laughs> now you can give them a buck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, everything, everything is fine now, but that was part of the thing before where I didn't want to tell people it was, I didn't want to, it was less that I didn't want to talk about it and more that I didn't want to talk about it in the way that I knew I would have to, or yes. people would be scared to ask me questions or people mm. would treat me weird. And I already felt weird enough yeah. with, with my intestine hanging out of my body. Oh. And I didn't, you know, I didn't need any help feeling strange. So if somebody could have just been like, Oh, you know, what's that? I had one of my good friends who 
um, you know, kind of helped me through it. I've known her forever. I went to college with her. She came over and she was like, can I see it? You know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And that was more helpful than the worst thing I wanted was people to be like, oh no, like I'm so sad. And like, yeah, people are going to say that, but it's the way you say it. Oh, I know that. Yeah. I know that feeling because having been diagnosed with MS for um, almost 20 years now, it's the people that are like, how are you? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's not like, how you doing? Right. But how are you really? It's so weird. I write about that exact thing, actually, in the death chapter, which um, I swear this is a funny book. Like when I'm talking about it's the very death, funny, the death chapter, the shit bag. Chapter. And that's why I love this book <laughs> is because it's very different. There's a lot of tragedy in here, but um, you're allowed to laugh. That's what you want people to yes, do. Yes, because the how you doing you brought up. I wrote about that where my sister and I had this conversation when our mom died. We didn't know over text when people started asking us how are you like how much time passes between her death and the text is it when they just mean how are you yeah or do they mean like how are you because if you answer the wrong way and if they're like how are you and they meant like just because of your major traumatic life right. event you're like i'm great everything's like, awesome they'll be like you sociopath like she doesn't even care mom died <laughs> but if they just mean like how are you like maybe we'll get yeah. lunch then mm-hmm. and you're like it's been really hard they're gonna be like wow you're exhausting to make keep it in my life <laughs> so it's it's stuff like that because you don't know and nobody talks about death in particular nobody talks about it mm-hmm. except they say things like oh they're in a better place or oh everything and it's like it's that's not helpful to anyone who's actually going through it yeah and it's so for years i had a hard time because my mom died young and so you you know meet me and you assume that i must still be someone who has a living mom when i have to tell people like if i'm like oh my dad is like oh what about your mom i'm like oh she's dead and then like, and I'm like, but I already knew that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, That's I, right. I, and then I, I just got to a point where I just said, you know, it's okay. You didn't kill her. And then people laugh and it's all good. Yes. Because it's tragedies bad enough, no matter what the tragedy is, but it can also be so isolating. Yes. Because of how differently people mm-hmm. treat you. I remember I was on Gutfeld a, a couple, uh, probably a couple of months ago. And I remember him telling me. Because I was talking about my book and he's like, I didn't know if it was right to make a joke about the deaths of your in-laws. Right. And and I, I that is interesting because he should be able to. Right. right? And I wouldn't have taken it badly no. at all. It's almost like, a oh, thank goodness we're over that hump. Yeah. Right. But I do appreciate that uh, from somebody. So there is a time that you can laugh about that. My husband and I do do that, even though. It's tragic. It's right. been three years. But if you can't do that, then you haven't gotten past it and you ha- you haven't started the process of healing. And I think that's what this book is about. Yes. And, and, and I, you know, I think that a lot of the conversation, too, about speech now is like, oh, the left is ruining that. And it's like the, 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 all those people who say that have a point. This book is for everyone. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there's one only one chapter about politics, but it hits both sides. Yes. Because I, I, I just... There's so many things that have nothing to do with politics that we're still afraid to talk to each other about. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a book by, you know, by a human for humans about human things. Yes. Um, And I think that intention is really important. I think Mm -hmm. there's a such of a thing as just someone wanting to be a jerk to you. And then there's somebody who is making a joke because they want to make you laugh. Yes. And there's this new thing where it's like intention doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what you meant. If it's, if it's offensive, it's offensive. It's not okay. It's not okay. And of like, of course it matters. Mm-hmm. Of course it matters whether somebody is trying to make me feel bad or trying to make me feel good. Yes. Um, so there's, the, the, I think that it, it, it crosses all kinds of, you know, different 
mm-hmm. boundaries and lines. And I don't think we're taking advantage of the tool that humor and communication and comedy can really be. Right. Are you optimistic? I mean, you talk about the slap in there. Um, obviously, that turned into quite a thing yeah. where at the beginning when it happened, I can't I still can't watch it, by the way. Yeah, it's just even though there was no blood attached to it, it was violent. Yes. And it was like you couldn't believe it. But like you said in the book, the next day or even he went up there and people gave him a standing yeah. ovation. Yeah, yeah. That was a violent act. Yeah. Someone was assaulted on live television. And is it because we didn't know what to do? Yeah, it was. And again, I I, I, I write a chapter about that, but linking to the whole words or violence mentality. Yes. And we've been hearing that for so long without, I think, really examining what it means, mm-hmm. which if you're saying words are violence, then that means you can do something like that because violence is always an appropriate response to violence. Mm. Um, So I think that people use it when they say words are violence, they can put themselves in a power position because Mm -hmm. if they've called your words violence, then them just talking to you, that's them being gracious to you. Really? They could be violent towards you. And I don't understand how this is seen as a progressive thing because for most of human history, we actually did treat words as violence. You know, like you would duel for your mom's honor if someone said something bad about you. Yes. But now we've become more civilized or we're supposed to be more modern as humans. And it, and now it's okay. Words are in response to words and violence. Physical violence is a different thing. And it's like going back to that is actually going back to that. It's not progressive. That's regressing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, calling it out. I'm, I'm hoping that people read this book. I'm hoping, I mean, I, I really think that it could solve a lot of, I think we get along better than we think we do. I yeah. think a lot of people think this stuff more. And, um, that chapter was, I think one of my favorites because I think that that's a huge issue mm-hmm. right now. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And you talk about Chris Rock. He was put in that role to make fun of people. Yes. Right? So it wasn't like he was doing something we were all shocked about. Right. Literally, I mean, if you talk about intention, he was hired to make fun of the celebrities in the audience. Mm -hmm. That was what he was hired to do. And I was very busy that week because I also... um, you know, I'm a I'm a woman who has done stand up, and I also I had I was diagnosed with alopecia in my in my twenties. I thankfully my hair's grown grown back; it's still very thin, but it was really bad for a while. Yeah. And I and I know just how much your hair is tied to your identity as a woman, and I'm sure that that's such a deeply painful thing for her. Although she looks great, like if I had to shave my head, my right. skull shape is not. I'm not going to look <laughs> like that. She's a perfect She's egg. She's a perfectly shaped skull. Mine is not. So it's it's so it doesn't matter. Yes, it, 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 there's. It's not that it's oh alopecia is like a bad you know bad roughic horrible mm-hmm. experience. It is especially for a woman. Of course it is, but that doesn't mean that that was appropriate. This guy, I mean, it couldn't be more clear that what he was supposed to do there was make a joke. And I don't even think he even knew she had alopecia. Right. And if you think about that, if you're going to go to a comedy club, 
you literally, there's no such thing as a safe space because everybody's a different individual. Some people's issue might be alopecia. Some person might have an eating disorder. Someone might have a parent who's sick. Someone might be sick themselves. Somebody might, you can have a trauma associated with anything. Yeah. And there's no way for a comedian to know you know, like David Spade made this comment after the slap. He said, because he doesn't have a medical chart for everyone in the audience and you don't. <laughs> that's right. So that's why a safe space isn't real because you never know what a person's sensitivities are going to be because we're mm -hmm. all different. But the good thing is by being around things that are uncomfortable, we can kind of grow. Um, and by, you know, listening to each other and expressing ourselves fully, we can kind of become closer together that way. It's very important to laugh. Yes. And you you write about the statistics mm -hmm. involved with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's physically beneficial. It's mental health-wise, it's more beneficial. I mean, there was, you know, these v prisoners of war who were saying that it was more helpful to them than religion to be able to laugh. Yes. Um, and, and even the chapter where I write about, I, I expand off of the shit bag, and I also write about terminal illness in general. Mm -hmm. And I think about all the people who have died recently that were, of cancers we didn't know they had, like Chadwick Boseman, like Norm MacDonald, because yes. they don't want people treating them all weird. Yes. And this research th that I went into, I was like, wow, it's not just me. And I was like, uh, you know, and for mine, I, I ended up surviving and all that, but it shows that what people want who are terminally ill, they rank laughter and being able to laugh, you know, higher as high than pain management. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different studies showing that. So everybody says, you know, you can't make a joke about terminal illness except for the terminally ill and people who treat them. I mean, this is all that's all out there. And but still we're like, oh, you can't do that. So we're just giving decorum, a, you know, a higher value than it deserves. Yeah. Because everyone says well, everybody knows you can't do that. It's like, but but you should. Yes. And I even write about how comedy I compare to my religion right. because of because of those things because it offers it it actually impacts a lot of the same parts of the brain as going to a religious service or as prayer does and the one thing it's lacking is there's no promise of eternal life with jokes and, and <laughs> some jokes uh, last a long time uh, yeah but i mean i'm you know that's that's you know lacking there because they're about comedy is my religion i'm unfortunately not religious i would love to be i think i'd be happier if i were and i hope that someday i am but it gives me, you know, it gives you a sense of meaning. It gives you a sense of, you know, bonding. It, it, you know, it, going to a comedy club is you're up there listening to somebody talk about life, like a worship service. But the other thing it's lacking is most religions have, if not all, have a path to forgiveness of some kind. Mm. We're missing that with comedy. And I, I used to go to Christian school. I've read the Bible. So Leviticus easily one of the least chill books in the Bible, right? Like that, it's like <laughs> yeah. Old Testament. It's like, you're in big trouble. Like you're bad. Like that's, it's, you know, very fire and brimstone. Is there humor in the Bible? Well, yes, because, but, but it's the, even here's the thing about Leviticus. Leviticus is actually more chill than the way we treat comedy in today's society. Cause wow. even Leviticus says an eye for an eye. Yes. And then now it's, you know, turn the other cheek in the new Testament, but Leviticus says an eye for an eye. If you go to like any of these cancellations of comedians or any of these scandals, there's nobody I would believe in the world that could tell me, honestly, the worst thing they've ever been through is hearing a, an offensive joke. But there are people who would say having told the wrong joke might be the worst thing they've been through. Wow. So that's, we're doing something wrong. I mean, and you go into that in the book about mm -hmm. jokes that you've told that have not landed yep. well. And, <laughs> and you're also very open about you're an emotional person. If yeah. you hurt somebody, you cry. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, I, I know the, the narrative is, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, but honestly, sometimes feelings don't care about your facts. Like, I, I'm so emotional. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, this book is very different than the, like, Snowflake Stop Crying. It's not that at all because <laughs> I'm very pro-free speech, and that includes speech about feelings. Yes. So if you are hurt, you should say you're hurt. Mm. But the difference is when people are saying they're hurt because they want to share that they're hurt and, like, hey, you really hurt me, man. That wasn't cool or this isn't cool or this is why this is a hurtful thing. Versus people who use it to put themselves in a power position over others where it's like you hurt me. Therefore, and and you can't defend yourself or explain yourself because anything you say is, you know, more proof that you're a homophobe or a racist or a sexist or this or that. And they like being in that power position. And we can you can really tell the difference. Mm -hmm. It's it's very obvious because. Usually if someone's sharing their hurt, you, you can even say, hey, I don't, want, I don't want to talk right now or maybe we'll talk later. You can tell when someone's sharing it because they're hurt. And then people who want to kind of wield power over like like the Netflix employees, for example, mm-hmm. who are like, we don't like this Dave Chappelle special. So now I am collectively organizing a walkout and all this and nothing that anybody could say to them was going to solve it. No apology. Nothing was going to. They were exercising power. Yes. And there's a huge difference. They probably didn't even watch the show. They probably didn't. Yeah. They probably didn't. When did you know you were funny? (laughs) I don't know because, I mean, my friends thought, I guess I always kind of thought I was funny, but not everyone always agreed. I mean, I was, I was bullied a lot as a kid Mm. because I was very, I'm very strange and I was a very strange person. So I developed a sense of humor and I, and I always like to make people laugh. Um, I, I really wanted, I, w- I wanted to do theater. I wanted to do, but I'm tone deaf, like really bad. Like my mom tried to get me to get singing lessons and the woman called her after a few times. She's like, they're just, I can't take your money. Like, <laughs> but so I was like, I like to perform. What do I like to do? So I kind of really got into just making people laugh. And, mm-hmm. um, that's something I could always do more so than singing. And your mom was funny too. She was very funny. I mean, even on her dying days, on her literal deathbed, she was making us all laugh so hard. I write about that in my book about how, because she died pretty suddenly. I mean, like it was a rare disease called cardiac amyloidosis. It's very, very rare. She was diagnosed within only three weeks before she died. She had been sick, but you know, they were thinking maybe it was cancer and then, oh, it wasn't. It was this heart problem. And so she had gone to Boston for treatment because it's the only hospital that specializes in it. Everybody assumed she'd be coming back. She didn't, but everybody did. So there's this one coworker who, I wonder if she's going to buy the books. I do write about her. She was not always very nice. My mom, there was like, there were like work, you know, work enemies or whatever, feud, annoying. I don't really know what the word is, but she was like, when am I going to go pick up the materials, you know, for the conference to my mom? My, my mom emailed her back literally two days or maybe one day before she died. She was like, hi, you know, um, there's really no way to say this. So I'm just going to say it. Uh, I will not be flying home as a regular Delta passenger. So she's envisioning her corpse flying across the country and she's laughing. She's like, you can pick them up, but I won't be there. Uh, I'm ready to meet the Lord. And she's laughing because she's she's like, she's going to feel so bad. And then my mom was going to die before she could ever even respond. Yeah. So I was like, you are trolling this woman. On the left, la- I mean, she's just laughing. It's like the ver- some version of a prank phone call, basically. Right. Yeah, you know, she was flirting with the male nurses. She was she was laughing the whole time, and that was an interesting thing for me to to see. You know, I was able to approach it a similar way. But the first time I did stand up, and I write about this too in the first chapter, was when I was living in Los Angeles, and I was like, I was so broke. I was waiting tables. Uh, traffic reporting job. I lived in 
squalor, essentially. And then that's before I even lost my apartment. Uh, I had a lot going through a lot of tough stuff. I didn't really know anybody. My boyfriend had broken up with me. Um, so I started going to open mic nights mm-hmm. and I started talking and like turning this into jokes and talking about it on stage. People would laugh. Yeah. And I, I felt so powerless all the time, except for when I was doing that. And that mm. made me feel powerful. Like, oh, this stuff is so scary, but I'm able to make people laugh at it. And also the fact that people laugh at it makes me think that maybe other people could had, had some things they could relate to some of it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, of course. And I was reading this while I was going through uh, an infusion, which I get every six months. Mm-hmm. And you know what it made me do? It made me think of the funny things that were happening as yeah. I was getting like chemo through my blood. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when you have to go for the infusion for six hours, you have to go still go to the bathroom and find a way to actually do it with one hand. Oh, yes. And I was like, that's funny. It is. Thank you, Kat. It is funny because I've been there because I was there with when I had my uh, my like when I was in the hospital, I had like on my arm tons of shit in it for like a day. And I was like, how do I pee? And nobody tells you. You just have to figure it out. Figure it out. You have to figure it it out. You do it with one hand and you wear stretch pants. You have to wear stretch pants. Absolutely. No, it and and also anything that it doesn't have to be a serious trauma either. I mean, I write a chapter about body positivity, which I think is like bullshit. <laughs> I, like I get why it's better. I get why it's better to be like all this stuff that I hate about myself. I actually think is beautiful and I love it about. But what if you can't? Right. What if you can't? What yeah, if, there are things that I hate that will, I, will I will always, always hate, hate and you can't put decoration on my ass. So, OK. It, so then. You feel bad for censoring yourself. So I think it's better to make fun of myself. Like for yeah. me, it's like my body is, I have, I have, I have, I have, this, I have no boobs. I'm completely flat chested, like completely flat chested. And so I like to make jokes about it. And I like to talk about how like the baseball analogy never make, you know, doesn't make any, for sex doesn't apply to me because you're already no, on everybody to go they, to they go straight to third, third base yeah nobody I, nobody's ever nobody's ever going to t- <laughs> nobody wants to touch my boobs and i get it i get it like what boobs you know um uh, i talk about how you know I, so whenever anybody hits me on it it's like oh i've, I've i'm way ahead of you and again that takes away the power of these things and it, it, it's, it's there's so much power when it comes to comedy and it's such a shame that so much of the focus is you know let's go back and try to find, well, we shouldn't have said that or can we say that or we shouldn't say that. It's like, especially because comedy, whether you're a stand-up or you're just a person who tells jokes sometimes, comedy's about swinging and missing. You yes. never know if people are going to laugh until you try it. Mm-hmm. And we can't make people too afraid to try because sometimes the jokes will, you know, they'll go too far or they won't, they'll, they'll miss or, you know, I've had, a, I've had a million that I've, you know, whoops, and that I'm in big trouble. But, but if we make people too afraid to try, we're going to miss out on the ones that might be able to help us or might right. be able to provide that healing power. power. So if you want to say that a joke hurt your feelings, you can. But keep in mind with your reaction that you might be discouraging people who see your reaction to make a joke that you might want or actually need at some point. Down Interesting. The line. We'll be back with more sunshine right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
you sound like somebody that's been through a lot of therapy. I mean, you really uh-huh. know yourself. Uh-huh. And I, I'm somebody that <laughs> has been in therapy since I moved to New York. Yeah. Because right away, <laughs> right away, it was like, my life, why did I do this? Yeah. And I want to cry every day. So I better find somebody to, to talk to. Oh, I've, I, oh, I've been in therapy since I was five because <laughs> I, I had a really bad insomnia. So I like had a sleep specialist therapist. I've been in therapy my whole entire life. My mom was a mental health professional. My mom was a social worker. Wow. Social worker. So I am, I am, oh, I am so pro therapy. Me too. I think it's really important. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also talk about people who get mad at Greg uh, for, you know, making fun of you when yes. really a lot of those jokes you've written yourself. I wrote them. <laughs> so even when the show was first starting, he was like, I feel worried like I'm going to make fun of you because you're like a woman and people get mad if like a guy's too mean to a girl. It's a lot. And it's uh, some of these intros or jokes he has actually gotten emails about. And I have a list of some of them in the book. And they're like, you're too mean to Kat. And I'm like, okay, well, I wrote that. <laughs> so so am I too mean to Kat? Because am maybe I too mean some, to myself? sometimes, but that didn't hurt my feelings. Um, and yeah, like all the white knighting of like, oh, you should be. It's like, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, just like he makes fun of everybody. If I, he couldn't make fun of me. I wouldn't have the job. Right. So you're basically telling me that I shouldn't have my job, yeah. which isn't very nice at all. And I think the difference is we know Greg. He is a nice person. Yeah. We like him as a as a human yes. being, right? So I think back to my days with Imus where he was mean to me on the air and off the air. So he was just, <laughs> he was a jerk and I had every right to be mad at him totally. for being mean to me because he was just a mean person. But Greg, he's doing a show. He's yeah. a funny guy, but he's also, like I mentioned, I, I didn't know if that was too soon to do that joke. I just want yeah. you to know, like he's a kind person. Greg is one of, that, that's what's so funny. He's one of the closest people to me. We yes. have a very, very close relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dog is his dog's uncle. Oh, like, I, I, didn't know know I didn't know if you knew that. that. Yeah, oh. yeah. Because he loved my dog so much. He got one for my cousins, but he was, they're related. They're Aww. blood related. Um, you know, not only that, but like him and, my my best friend takes care of his, you know, walks the dog. Like yes. we're very, very close. Family. We're family. And to be, you know, trying to say he's too, you need to be, I, I can tell, you know, you, she's, she's, it's like, you don't know, you've never met either one of us, Yes, you know? And it's also saying, and I, you know, write in this my, a chapter, you know, about, you know, feminism, sexism, what that all means to me. Um, you have to watch whether or not you're saying that I actually can't handle this just because I'm a woman, mm. which I can handle it just fine. Yes. I mean, I'm able to fire back at him and, you know, he doesn't know what to say sometimes and vice versa. I can handle it. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Joan Rivers. Yes. I loved her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really was, you know, breaking glass ceilings. And she was somebody who said, no, j- don't tell me because I'm a woman. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a comic. Yeah. That's it. Yep. The end period. Yeah. And I'm glad that you bring her up because, you know, we're going through all this quote unquote woke stuff, but she was going through it back in the seventies, eighties when she was up and coming. She, people were mad at her. Yes. So I actually dedicated my book to my cat and well, what's to Cheens and Joan Rivers, neither of whom can read this is what I do. <laughs> yes. But she is so, uh, throughout. I talk about her throughout the book because she's such an inspiration for not being concerned about being an inspiration. Yes. She would joke about whatever she wanted. I mean, her husband's suicide, mm-hmm. uh, the Holocaust. I mean, and of course, 
people would go after her for that, but then she would say, well, that's why I did it. I would make these jokes not despite the fact that they were about this dark topic, but because they were. Yes. And that's how we get through this. And um, people want to talk all about, you know, the things she did face as a female comedian in this time. But you go to this time and saying that a woman's place is in the home was like still a thing people were saying. Yes. So it wasn't unique to female comedians. It was just women were dealing mm-hmm. with that and she was so focused on something that I think is missing now and I'm not saying sexism is, isn't a thing anymore because it absolutely is we both know that every woman out there knows that but to keep the focus always on doing if there's because that there's a difference between acknowledging sexism and people who are looking for it mm-hmm. people who are like okay well I can't do this because all this is being done to me and I'm being held down in this way and that might be true in some instances but if it's all about what's being done to you you're not focused enough on what you can do and what right. you can offer and mm-hmm. she was all about that yeah she didn't she was like I'm too busy she was like I'm too busy to worry about that and I'm not stopping I'm not over I'm not done And that is so amazing. I mean, she's a hero for anybody, men, women, just as a comic. She was such a talent, such a star. And no matter what, she kept going. Yeah. And I didn't realize somebody like her was rare. I mean, I I didn't think of her because she was just at the top of her game. And I didn't look at her as a female or a male. She was just Joan Rivers. Absolutely. But to have a female doing that job was pretty rare. Yeah, it was really rare. And, and 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 she's such a special person. And I've thought so many times, I mean, she she died right before it all really went insane. Yeah. She died. What would, right, what would Joe what Rivers would she say? say? And I've thought about that so many times. Um, but, you know, I mean, even I, I watched like some documentary about her and she's like, oh, my calendar's not full enough. You know, like Kathy Griffin stealing my dad. Like she's laughing, <laughs> joking. There was nothing she wouldn't joke about. And I mean, we lost her. We lost Norm Macdonald. And yes. Norm Macdonald was very much like that. Norm Macdonald was um, very much, the more that you would tell him he shouldn't say something, the more he's like, well, now I have to, and, <laughs> and I'm going to make it funny. Like He loved to bomb. Yeah. Like when everything got really uncomfortable, he went in harder. Yeah. Uh, and he would say comedy is surprises. So if you're expecting people to laugh and they don't, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. There is something about that. And just talking about it makes it okay to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Right? The more times we close things off and don't talk about things, that's when I worry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true because we're never going to really, I, I mean, if, if somebody has this opinion that you think is horrible and then you say, you're a horrible person, I like you're dead to me, this or that, that they're just going to go in, dig in further in that opinion. And that's how people become radicalized because they feel like nowhere else will accept me. Mm. And I... I think that the more we can encourage us, you know, each other to be open, tell me why you feel that way, make fun of each other a little bit, keep it lighthearted. We actually have hope, I I think, of coming together and getting along. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, for some people, it's well-intentioned to say, don't use this language, don't say this, that's offensive. For some people, it's well-intentioned. I'm not going to say for all, and I write a lot about the differences between those things. But... I think it's really just gone the opposite way because now we're too afraid to communicate at Isn't all. That's sad. And we don't know how much in common that we really do have. Absolutely. It's like we whisper. We're whispering yeah. about that. I think uh, the pandemic did a lot of that. You know, you were oh, yeah. too afraid to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, how do you feel about Twitter? Do you like Twitter? Oh boy, I write two chapters about Twitter. Well, one chapter mostly about Twitter. About I mean, so Twitter's horrible, okay? It's, 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 it's horrible. It's a horrible place, but I'm on there every day. So, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Because I write about how it's... 
the dopamine, right? You can't yeah. help yourself. You're like, you know, I'm so it feels so good to get a tweet that, you know, pops off. It's great. It's fun. But the problem with Twitter is a few things. Uh, and I write about this. I have all the exact statistics in the book. But it the way it removes nuance from conversations and right. rewards outrage, mm-hmm. there's actually been studies that have been done. And it's so different from human interaction. If you had a friend who would just, every time you went out, was just like doing this moral grandstanding with these like deeply emotional words, you would never invite that. You'd stop <laughs> inviting right. them. You'd be like, we're not inviting her anymore. She's going to do the thing again. And like, we all just want to have some brunch. So you wouldn't. But on Twitter and Facebook, studies have been done that show that the more emotional words, the more grandstanding you do, the more popular the and the yep. more attention that those things get. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the um, Leary is the psychologist's name. He has developed this idea called sociometer, which is that actually there's no such thing as self-esteem. It's what other people think of us, and we internalize that. Uh, and then there was these, I forget where I read it, but it's in, in there. They wrote about it. And somewhere, I'm, I know, whatever, about how social media kind of externalizes that. So people yes. can see that, what other people think of you. So you yes. become so concerned with that. Right. Um, I know Jonathan Haidt was one of them who wrote about it. I forget who the other guy is. But um, also, social media, when the, when the cancellation stuff happens, mm-hmm. when it becomes, okay, this person said a thing. And you can just quote tweet it and just go like, wow. And that's all you have to, that's do. All you have to do. And then you, that makes you one of the good ones. And you don't have to look at this person when they lose their job. You don't have to like explain yeah. to their kids that, you know, this or that. You, I, I wrote this in the book. You don't have to get off the toilet. You could just be on the toilet and like piling on to ruin someone's career. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because of the complexity involved. I mean, first of all, most issues are more complex than is this person a bad, evil, racist man or not? And also, you know, most issues are more complex than bad and good, but Twitter doesn't treat it like that. Right. It makes these, com- like, uh, Megan McArdle, I refer to something she wrote in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, about, or Washington Post, I don't remember, it was Megan McArdle, about this, where, you know, it usually is more complex than that. And Twitter, it destroys the nuance of that. You're right. It, it's, it's, is this person bad or good? And that's not helpful. It's not. So what do you think happens? I mean, I, I, I feel like there has to be some exhaustion with it at, at some point. I think it's going to take people not being afraid. I think it's going to take, I mean, I, I, I don't want it to go too far in the other direction. I write a chapter about apologies where I don't like the idea where like, they're going to hate you anyways. So just don't apologize. That's also a form of censoring to the mob because mm. you're not, if you feel bad and you want to apologize, you should. Yes. And if you're worried the mob is going to, you know, take it and run with it, then you're still censoring yourself for a mob. Mm-hmm. But I think people also apologize because they feel like they're supposed to and now we're so oversaturated with apologies that they don't mean anything anymore Mm -hmm. so I think we have to stop apologizing when we don't mean it apologizing when we do and just realizing that humans are complex creatures and everybody is more than a single tweet yes I agree what do you want people to get out of your book the most (sighs) I mean I want I want people to realize you can joke about everything. I want people, I think the main difference between my book and everything that's been written about comedy and speech so far is that people talk about how I can say whatever I want, you can't stop me. Uh, This is about how it brings people together. Mm. This is about how free speech, open communication, dialogue, comedy, it makes it easier to get through tough things and it makes it easier for people to be brought together. It's about togetherness. It's about healing. It's about all these things that you don't normally associate with, with jokes or with you know speaking openly and saying what you want and free speech. But it's the truth. And I think 
that that can all bring people together. This book can help. I mean, it's anybody who's ever been through anything, which is everyone. I think it can help you heal within yourself, but also with those around you, which I know is a big claim, but I did a lot of research and I myself have also been through a fair amount of life, especially for, you know, especially the shitbag thing. Usually that you don't get that one until you're like 85. <laughs> so I've got a head start. And we didn't talk about Cam, but I, yes. I, I'm just so happy that you found a partner in life because yes. you deserve that. And uh, I don't know. I just want such good things for you because you. I do love you so I much. I love you so much. And Cam, and I do write about it was a journey to get to Cam. I dated a lot of absolute. <laughs> oh, I know that. Absolute, Me too. Absolute trash. Uh, like, oh, and I'm, yes. And I'm lucky to have you as a friend too. Uh, I love you too. Well, listen, I, I, I don't say this lightly. I really believe that this is an important book. Uh, the timing is great. Um, your stories are incredible. You can tell that you wrote it. There was no ghostwriter. No. <laughs> um, this is your story. And I think the bottom line is you're going to make people feel better. And so I, I can't recommend it enough. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, my love. To be continued. Thank you, Kat Tim, for being you and being fearless in life, in your career. And you're such a beautiful human being. Her book is out in stores tomorrow. It's called You Can't Joke About That, Why Everything is Funny, Nothing is Sacred, and We're All in This Together. It's amazing, just like the lady that wrote it. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.